It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Roka Report podcast. I'm Michael Dunn and today I'm delighted to be joined with a man who not only shares the same surname and nationality as myself, a man who also played for Sunland on loan from January 2019, making 12 appearances, scoring one goal. Jimmy Dunn, how are you? Very well, yeah. Thanks for speaking to me. Thanks for coming on. So uh, you're, you're on your holidays now, a couple of weeks off, you were saying? Yeah, not very long, not very long break, but um, a couple of weeks to recover and go again in no time back into the third pre-season in what feels like five months at this stage so it's, it's quite tough so what, what have you been kind of doing yourself now on the time off um well I, I would usually be always trying to use the time off to gain fitness and um things like that but I think this break I'm I'm actually going to take a break because it's been been so hectic and there's been like we've had a full lockdown of everybody running and everybody training not knowing when we're going to come back and I think now that we've got a bit of clarity and we know when our dates back are and stuff like that I think it's a good time to actually um you know spend a week not thinking about football and and just recovering and being normal for a little while before we go again. Did you find it hard I suppose because the season was so like it went on for so much longer than thought it was hard mentally to kind of keep focused? Yeah I think like um it was one of them, but the situation I was in, I had to like be prepared just in case. Um, so like you're concentrating, but then you're you're not playing at the same time. So you, you have to keep fit and you have to just in case kind of thing. And it was it it was mental toughness more than anything. Um, and just staying prepared and not taking your foot off the gas just in case the opportunity arises. Um, to come on, but I think I think um I think everybody over lockdown had that like kind of frustration of when and what and what's going on, but um it was good to get the clarity back and, and know know what's going on now. We've got our dates for when we're supposed to come back and um that's just kind of settles the head a little bit. Yeah. And you obviously you were involved in the Burnley squads after Project Restart. Like how surreal was that experience even going into the like Turf Moor or any of the stadiums you're in, no crowds there? Like what's the protocol going in for the matches? Yeah. I think it was really weird because as a young lad, I'm sure being on the bench in the Premier League and going into these stadiums, the atmosphere must usually be like surreal. And um, like when when the boys got a 1-1 draw against Liverpool and Anfield, like usually that would be like, and it did feel amazing, but it, w- but it would have been like 70,000 or whatever it is. And it would have been like, uh, the fans would be going crazy and it would have been a completely different adrenaline and it would have been uh, a completely different experience being on the bench in that environment than it was with nobody there. Um, 
but that's the but that's how it was and it was still it was still incredible um i probably you probably get to see more of an insight and and listen to what the players are saying on the pitch more and and how differently they do it to, to other levels of football i've been at and stuff so it's been a it's been a class experience for me yeah and would you have to, like isolate after games and stuff are you, are you staying away from family and friends after matches are you allowed to kind of interact with people yeah, like it, I think just like as soon as you leave it, the football ground, it's just normal social rules that apply to anyone. Oh, um, yeah. You know, everyone's like with their families in their home, the same as the government guidelines have been for anybody who is or isn't um, an athlete. Um, but like in terms of in the change room before the games, we're keeping a distance. Um, like for the Man City game, like we had to spread out so much that like I was in a completely different completely different change room compared to the rest of the lads all, some of them all together and like we, we were just everywhere spread out because they had to we had to follow the guidelines so um, I think they've done the best they can to make it work hmm. um, it's just whether whether or not this has to continue into the new season hopefully not but I mean who knows yeah well, it doesn't it doesn't look great at the moment and Burnley triggered the extension of your contract by a year am I right in saying so have you spoken to Sean Dyche about what your plans are for next season yeah, I think that's something I'll probably discuss a little bit more now when we go back into pre-season and, and see how um, see how the market goes for the club and what situation that the team and stuff will be in. Maybe see how I got on in pre-season. Um, I do I do need to go play games as as well, but at the same time, this um, I'm learning a lot from being around the standard of players, so I'm, I'm benefiting and, and improving a lot just from being surrounded in that environment. So regardless of what happens, I think it's good for me. Yeah, because your position central defender is probably one of Burnley's strongest, like Tarkowski, Ben Mee, uh, Kevin Long, and that. So it's strong competition, isn't it? Yeah, it's strong competition, but it's it's you know it's not really. I don't I don't really feel as though I'm trying to compete with them as such. It's just a, an opportunity for me to learn off defenders that are absolutely brilliant, and if I can get anywhere near where they are, then that'd be a huge achievement for me. Um, like I, I get surrounded by them players every day, so that's like that's benefiting me so much. Um, I feel fortunate for that. Yeah, well, we're we're here to talk about your time at Sunderland, Jimmy. And um, yeah. obviously, you came in January twenty nineteen. So, how did the move come about for you? Remember, um, the move came about for me because I was playing at Hearts, yeah. and um, Jack Ross obviously had a lot of connections with Hearts and. <clears throat> I think particularly connections with some people at Kilmarnock and stuff like that. And I just played against Kilmarnock and um, obviously that was a league he watched. Um, so when Sunderland needed um, a centre-back, um, he, they got in touch. I got injured at Hearts at the time, so I wasn't sure whether I was going to be able to get back and fit in time for getting it done. I remember worrying a little bit whether or not like I'd, I'd be able to get back, fit enough in time and stuff like that. But we got over the line and it was great. Uh, were you? Would you've been happy to stay at Hearts? Are you happy to come down to Sunderland? Or did you kind of have a choice in that situation? I think, yeah, I did absolutely have a choice, and I, I did have to think about it because it was it was going really well. At, it was going really well at Hearts, but I, I don't think. And um, I spoke to Craig Levine, the Hearts manager, and we both kind of agreed that when it, an opportunity comes up like this um, at such a fantastic club like Sunderland, then you just got to take it. Um, so I definitely don't have any regrets in that department. And one one of your first games, right, in saying you, you scored against Oxford, so you, you got off to a good start. Yeah, like I, fe- I felt like relieved at the start that I'd gotten back fit because um, I was like a bit anxious um, about whether or not I'd, I'd be able to 
I'd be able to um to to play uh, early doors. So yeah, we got off to a good start playing games. Got my goal in there. Um, but still, the, the clean sheet problem didn't really fix itself because we kept drawing, kept conceding like a goal late on or stuff like that. And it was that was the frustrating part that we couldn't get, we couldn't really get the wins in there. We just kept drawing. But why was that? I mean, there's so many one-one draws. Is there any one reason for that, or is it just a mixture of things and just football is like that? I suppose. I think, it, I think we got into like into habits of losing things. And I think when teams get into a role of winning, then it's nearly too hard not to win. And like when you get into a role of losing, it's hard to ever get your win. And we just got into a habit of kind of drawing and maybe thinking like, well, that's okay. The win, the win will come, it will come. And it didn't. We, we nearly just got into the habit of it. And like, as well as like crazy things, like Scunthorpe was my first game and it was like, they scored a worldie in like the 85th minute or something at the end. It was like, yeah. uh, Oxford, the end of the Oxford game, there was like a horrendous decision and one one again. We're like, oh my God, what is going on? Yeah. And it's hard to kind of break them habits. Um, yeah, like to talk about it all day, but that's how it was. And would there be like a, a fear, I suppose, in the team to sit back when they're 1-0 up or is Jack Ross telling you to go for the second, go for the third or are we, as a team, we're Sunderland trying to stay compact after going 1-0 up? Because that's what some fans seem to think that Ross was maybe a bit too conservative when they got the 1-0 lead and they didn't kill games off maybe. Yeah, like, look, a lot of the times we can see, we, we scored late on. So yeah. like, um, Max Powers goal against um, Peterborough. It was um, that was late on anyway, so it's not like we were going to go and try and get a second when we had only scored in like uh, the 85th minute or something like that. So I don't remember like um, the manager ever specifically telling us uh, to go and try and get a second, go and try and get a third. Um, I did think he gave us a lot of freedom, um, but I mean, like maybe maybe the the defending for us, like not being able to, like you have to be able to win one nil. Like if you're going to go win a win a league or win or get promotion, like yeah, you've got to be able to see out one nils. One nil is such a good scoreline. I know Burnley do it all the time, where they where they can they can score and they can keep that clean sheet. It's obviously a really hard skill to do, but um, that's probably you know that was probably our biggest thing. We couldn't we couldn't win one nil ever. You mentioned Burnley there. What what makes Burnley so good at doing this? Like what does Sean Dyche implement into the team? Well, <clears throat> it's obviously a mentality that's grown over like a long period of time. So, like Jack Ross was a new man, new manager to the club, new players. Like it definitely takes time to develop um, a system that completely works anywhere. Obviously, that's when you're at a club like Sunderland. The time's not really something that you, you get much of. But um, the gaffer at Burnley has had um, the time to implement his ideas and how the how the players work, and, and we know how. We know how to work like Ben's our captain and he's been here for a few years now and he knows exactly how um, the system works and what shape we want to maintain and how we want to play and, and stuff like that. So I think maybe these things take time once we're all on the same wavelength. Whereas at Sunderland, it was we were trying to patch things up and players maybe had to fill in in places and new players come in and stuff like that. And I thought it was, it was difficult for um, Jack Ross to, to be able to really get a culture going um, with such little time. Um, and maybe he could have done with a bit of luck. You know what I mean? Like a, a bit of luck would have been would have been amazing, and he'd maybe still be the manager now. And you know what I mean? Um, but as I say, it's you know you, you don't get these opportunities forever, and we fluffed it at the time. So, hmm. were you surprised they let him go this year? Uh, well, I really liked Jack Ross. I thought he was brilliant. Um, I I didn't think 
he did anything he did anything wrong. He tried to fill us with confidence. He tried to he tried to tell us to play freely and tried to get us to enjoy training and tried to give us ideas how to play. He was definitely very patient with me and gave me um the opportunities. Um so like I I, I thought he was brilliant, but I, as I say, like you know, if you if you don't get what um, the objective is at Sunderland, obviously that it's a Premier League club and supposed to be in the Premier League, so if you're not making movements towards that, then I, I get how fans get frustrated and um, and people feel as though they, they might need a change. Yeah, but the, I re, people seem to think the players and stuff that like Jack Ross is a great manager to work under. He's a great man manager, and um, he seemed to like that seemed to be something you were saying there. He gets along with all the players very well. Yeah, it takes an interest. He took an interest in people, which is important. Um, like, uh, like I don't know anything like about being a manager or anything, but um, uh, Jack Ross definitely took an interest in people and tried to understand um, how people worked. And he, he, for me, he was the right balance of um, supportive and strict. You know what I mean? Because there is a balance, and there's no point in battering players all the time until their confidence is gone. And also, there's you can build the player up too much where the Maybe they're not concentrating as much. So he, he did try and get that balance right. All you can do is try, like every every character in the changing room was different. So, um, but he definitely made the effort to try and get it right with everyone. Mm. And was there a good team spirit there? I mean, you'd like lads like Cattermall, George Honeyman, your kind of leadership, they they seemed to kind of carry, well, carry, but they were big, strong characters in the dressing room. Yeah, like it, it obviously, it obviously wasn't the, probably the, the best. Um, team spirit that you'd, you'd ever get in a changing room not, not for any other reason than it was new it was it was new and these things definitely take time like when a new manager and new staff come in and there's there's new players come in and people are different like the, the some of the players that I, I was closest to at the very start I was closer to other players six months later so like I definitely feel like I would have loved to have been there a year to like get through my ups and downs and find a consistent uh, level. And I feel like a lot of lads were like that. A lot of lads hit form and came out of form and a lot of lads were happy and not happy. And for me, it just went like that anyway. So um, it must have been difficult as a, as a manager and as a staff to be able to like bond a culture together. Like we tried to do loads of things and go for meals together and we did get on, but I think there was maybe some issues as well. The lads needed to sort out between themselves. No. Uh, well, what sort of issues would they have been? Just lads mightn't have got along from previous seasons, or uh, like maybe just things like disagreements in training, minor things that aren't un- that aren't unusual in in um, that aren't unusual in, in changing rooms. But I think like um, maybe some of the older lads wanted to wanted to be different than some of the younger lads used to do. I think we we had a bit of an age gap in the changing room anyway. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, maybe maybe that's difficult to to mould the younger and the older lads together. So there was maybe that little bit of a, a little bit of a split. Um, and in any change room, again, there's always like maybe kind of certain people that get on with certain people and stuff like that. Mm. Not that not that the, the change room wasn't good enough. It was definitely good enough to get promotion. We were definitely a close knit group. Um, but nitpicking at things now, like maybe there was a little bit of of, of a split in some areas. Yeah. What impact would the Netflix, the cameras and stuff had on the changing room and training and stuff? Was that something you liked or you just didn't really take notice of it? I think you'd be lying if you said it wasn't a distraction um, in some ways. And I, I think you'd be lying if you said you'd, you're you completely comfortable in acting yourself when cameras are there compared to when they're not there. Like, I think surely it must have made some people 
act and feel a bit different. There's no way everybody could have been cool with it. Um, it's not what you're used to in your day to day. I think fair enough. The games, like game day, is like massive anyway. There's thousands of fans and everything's getting filmed anyway. So I think I don't think it really made a difference on game day. But I think like like walking around the, the training ground and like having your breakfast and like and getting filmed all day. Then for me, it was like it was a, a little bit weird. Um, but when I, I don't think we'll ever really know if it affected it in a positive or negative way. I would find it harder to believe that it had a positive effect. Yeah. Um, I don't see how it could have. It would have just been a nice moment to capture if things worked out, but unfortunately not. And they got they got their ending, but a different sort of ending with the two Wembley uh, defeat finals. But just when you were talking about the cameras there, would you have interacted with them much? Or like, did the players have a choice to say, look, I don't want to talk to you? Or, I mean, are you obliged to speak to them? They try and get you to speak to them. I spoke to them loads. Um and lots of us, lots of us spoke to him obviously way more than what um, it, it would show in the documentary. I, I think what they tried to do was film everything as much as they can, and then see how things end up, and then see what story yeah. um, makes sense. So I feel like if my story had been different at Sunderland, then you maybe want to see me in the documentary more. But for you know, I think they wanted to just see how it ends up, and then put something together. You obviously we just mentioned the Wembley finals there. You were part of the two finals um, on the bench, but still must have been a fantastic experience um, to play in Wembley or just be involved in a team that's in Wembley final. Yeah, well, that was heartbreaking experience. Probably the worst, probably the worst experience of. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably probably the toughest to take um, both times because um, I'd gone through like such hilly periods at at Sunderland where like I'd be in the team and win a great game, it would be great. So like I think this the two games before the Wembley playoff final, I think was Doncaster. Yeah. And it was like clean sheet, played great, back in the team, feel amazing, fans back on my side, thank God. Like and then the next game was like Peterborough where we messed messed up. One one. Oh no, we're not going to get all my fans off your case. Oh my god! Like now it's a disaster again. It was for me. It was like it was like that so much. It was like they hate me, then they love me, then they hate me more. And it was like, um, but yeah. So the, the then it was like a, a drop for a drop for um for a playoff final, and I'd been playing in the games up to that, so it was it was tough to take. Yeah, and you were you were playing quite well. I remember that Doncaster game specifically. You played very well, and obviously the Peterborough game uh, conceded the ninety third minute, but like solid performance, a good draw. You would take a draw, at Peterborough, because they were up there as well. What was what was Jack Ross saying to you at the time? Nothing like I never. Like, this is probably why I like Jack Ross so much. I would never blame him for not putting me in the team because I, f- I feel like I probably didn't hit the level of consistency that I sh- that I should have. Um, like there was too many draws. There there was games where I didn't perform properly, um, and I had to just take responsibility for that. Like uh, at my age, it is a it is a stage of learning, and it it is going to be like that sometimes. But unfortunately, when you're playing for a club like Sunderland. And there's so much at stake that it, it can't be acceptable. So Jack Ross is put in a position where he has to make these decisions. And um, for the for the finals, he went with older, um, more experienced bros. But it's obviously where I'm trying to get to. Yeah. And in those situations, do you going to have to support the lads that are playing, or are you kind of still disappointed you're not involved? And no, no, you get your disappointment out of the way. You get your disappointment out of the way. Like you're not playing, but the most important thing, and definitely. 
individually and collectively was to be promoted. That would that's the one thing that works out better for anyone, everyone anyway. Yeah. Um like I'd love to look back now and say we got promoted that season was wondering whether I played in the in the in the final or not. Um so yeah, I got I, I definitely I definitely would never be better or um or anything like that. Yeah. And I, I really supported the lads and and wanted the club to get what they deserved. You were talking there about the like how it was an up and down experience for yourself at Sunland. Um obviously the fans can be quite they're quite intense when the things are going well and when things aren't going as well. Um, is there a lot of pressure playing for Sunland? Would you found that as a young guy coming up, were you surprised at how intense the atmosphere could be? Yeah, um, people people have told me uh, like uh, mates with Paddy McNair, and he played there, and he experienced. And Paddy's quite a cool customer anyway, so maybe you know he and he used to he played for Man United. So, um, but he even said that the fans are intense, like it's highs and it's highs and lows. Like when things are going great, it's unbelievable. When things are aren't going so well, it's the worst disaster in the world. So. Um, I think as a player, and if I'd have known this now, I'd have been like, I'd have been more level-headed through each game and every performance, and not got disappointed if it didn't go well, but also not got excited if it did went well. And um, I think that would have helped me um, find the level of consistency a little bit more. Um, and that obviously would have worked out better for the club then. But you know, when the fans are unbelievable, unbelievably passionate, and when it means so much to people like that, like you've got to understand that it is going to be like the world to them. Um, and it's something that I understand now, you know. Um, but at the time, it's a completely new experience, and you just get thrown in, and no time to think about it. So, and would you have had like much interaction with fans outside of training and stuff? Would you bump into them? Would they be chatting to you? Yeah, yeah, all, all the time, all the time. Like, and I, like I like I like my cafes, and there's some <laughs> really, um, trying to think of the particular area in London where I used to always go for a coffee. Now, but I can't remember. Um, I'll have to remember that one later, but yeah, always the Sunderland fans are everywhere. Even like, um, even in third, even even in Newcastle, where like you would have thought there'd only be New, Newcastle fans or whatever. There's loads of Sunderland fans everywhere. Like, and they'd always always recognise you and want want to talk to you, and not just want to talk to you, but want to find out like what is going on. Like, it's not just kind of a picture and how are you. It was like, what is going on? What do we need to do? How do you think? What do you think about it? And they really wanted to be involved, and that's the type of club Sunderland is. Like it's, it's all it's all about the fans. They are totally connected to the team, and um, they wanted to be, and the players wanted to be connected to them. Yeah. And do you remember the, the memory? Probably one that I remember as well. Dylan uh, was the Kings Cross Station coming in for the Checker Trade final. Do you remember that? <laughs> Easy. That was like felt like you're playing for Real Madrid. Like that was like <laughs> that was like outrageous getting off the train. It was like. You'd think it would at least be a, a London club you played for if you're getting off the train in London, like and that's they've travelled all that way. What was there like forty thousand of them? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! All waiting for you, like sensational. Yeah, what an experience. Yeah, that sums them up. Like, <laughs> yeah. And obviously, one one um, obviously Josh Maja, who was at Sunderland, you probably didn't play with him or get to know him. Left in January, Will Grigg came in after him, and I kind of seen from the outside that Will Grigg maybe. He just didn't settle in Sunderland. Maybe without was confidence or something. Was that something you might have noticed in training? Did he maybe feel the pressure of playing for Sunderland as well? Um, I played for I played with Josh once. Oh, um, like obviously, he obviously and he scored in that game, the Scunthorpe game. Um, he obviously was was comfortable and in good form. Yeah. And like, you ask any striker once you get into the flow of good form, it's like you're on top of the world. Um, Will had like 
bit of trouble with injuries then you're travelling up all that way from from Manchester and things like that and like it's hard like what he came in the January how could you get it to click like that like I don't like I've never understood how that could be expected like you, when you take a, a striker into a club you maybe have six months getting used to it and then and then the next season would be a season you just don't get that at Sunderland like or, well you don't get that at any clubs that are competing for something that's so important to them and um, we needed at the time there's someone come in and score like 15 goals. Um, but like, that's probably unrealistic. We did see Will's quality, like loads and loads and loads, but it probably just didn't get appreciated as much. And we definitely seen it in training. Mm. His finishing was unbelievable. Like, But obviously he just found it difficult to get into form in the games. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? You just, you need to hit the ground running with an early goal to kind of get the confidence going as a striker, isn't it? Yeah, and a bit of luck. A yeah. bit of luck. Like a bit of luck would have been great. Like he in the Oxford game, one of his first games, like he was on fire. I mean, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't fall in the right place ever for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, but like his movement was class, and then he got a bit on foot. Like his injuries, like when a striker gets in, injured and he can't move as freely as he as he could before. It's, it's so tough. Mm. It was a shame, really, the way that season had ended because we had a great up until maybe the Czech trade final. We were flying this. I think we had a couple of games in hand. We were just talking earlier with the draws we got. Um, what what yeah. what were what was the confidence maybe near the end of the season after the, the Wembley defeat that maybe hit us? Or just just too many games? Or is there one thing particularly that I think like I think there was such a build up of like pressure that it was like I don't think anyone felt relaxed like or anyone actually really felt as if they they were really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Like you sometimes get a feeling regardless of the result, or whatever you're just looking forward to playing for Sunderland but I mean it was it's it's so different when you play for Sunderland that division there's more pressure playing for Sunderland in League One I think than there is playing in the Premier League um, because there's such an eagerness to get back to where they should be mm-hmm. um, and they don't want to be there in the slightest at all so it was like there was so much pressure on the lads and the staff to just make sure that we got promoted regardless and I think with, with all that build up of pressure it was nearly like setting ourselves up for failure mm-hmm. Um I think like if there was just like a, a freedom and a and a more fun maybe then um it would it would just come through our quality because we had such a good team. Mm. I feel like if we hadn't just not tried to get promoted we, we might have. Um, <laughs> but we yeah, we maybe yeah, tried felt like we nearly tried too hard and put too much pressure on ourselves. So maybe an almost a fear of failure um at the club yeah. at the time. Yeah, the fear of failure, yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah. Maybe not individually though, but just just kind of collectively, like like oh my god, we have to get promoted here. Like we have to. Like if we don't, it's such a disaster. Like they'll hate us. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Maybe that was that was um maybe that was a part of it. Like I'm as well, kind of guessing. Like you ask fifteen of the other lads at the time, they'll have other thoughts about why. And and I'm trying to speak more collectively and not individually. But I feel like maybe the the fear of failure and the total build up of pressure. Along with all the everything that was new, the new players and the new staff and the new everything, then uh, it was it was difficult. Like, it was difficult. And would that pressure have come from the manager? Would the manager be a very relaxed character with you? Like, would he be? Yeah, there was no pressure off. There was no pressure off the manager. He was all the time trying to encourage us to break the shackles off. That's that's what he, what he used to say. Break the shackles off. Forget about forget about whatever whatever the outside noise is um, and what people are saying off the pitch just block it out enjoy your football that is what he encouraged but I, I mean like the voice of like the, the Sutton fans is so big and the voice from 
all the other teams in the league and all the other clubs from other leagues looking at us and looking at where we are, where we should be. It's more that kind of pressure. Mm. Would you speak to many of the lads now? Yeah, yeah. Speak to Luke all the time, <laughs> all the time, um, and and some of the other boys as well. We stay in touch, and um, like I'm a fan of, like I just want, I want them, the, the lads that are still there, to get promoted and and to get back to to where they should be as well. Yeah, you were just. What's your thoughts now for next season? Do you think you might get to stay on loan or go out on loan, or stay at Burnley? You were at Fleetwood there for a while. There, how did that go for yourself personally? Yeah, the, the Fleetwood one was weird. It was it was just a matter of like, you know, like I obviously where I am at Burnley, like I have to work off the, the players that are ahead of me. And at the time at Burnley, I thought I was maybe going to stay for the season. Um, but with with Ben Gibson being there and stuff, there was already four centre backs, so it was literally deadline day where I found out like I need to go go alone. I was like, oh, I need to go alone. Need to go alone. Need to get a club. And I was like, all right, I'm out. Like, I need to go play League One. Like, I know Fleetwood had ambitions of getting promoted as well, and I want to be part of that again. So it was like bang on there. And again, it was just a matter of um, just a matter of getting the games and keep getting the experiences at my age. Like as a centre back, there's so much learning. Um, there's so much concentration. There's so much I need to improve on that. The, the games are are important for me, regardless. Kind of uh, obviously, I want to play at the highest level. I can play at and fulfil my potential, but a little bit of it is, is regardless of the level. It's just getting the experience in. So I, I was brilliant. I played another whatever amount of games there and got that experience in. And there was more highs and lows and more more things to um, to learn from. Um, and now with the situation at Burnley, where they've only three first team centre centre backs of of becoming the of trying to become the fourth one and and learning off the lads ahead of me and pushing pushing them and, and learning off them and trying to get to where they are. Um, obviously like the centre backs at the minute like Kev, Kev is an Irish international and played with, uh, uh, X amount of times in the Premier League now Ben's our captain James Sarkowski's an English international like they're like to select centre backs to learn off like it doesn't really get much better so um, I'm fortunate for that yeah. yeah and just briefly I was mentioning Fleetwood there you're working under a man that will be very popular most Sunderland fans Joey Barton uh, how was that what was that experience like for yourself yeah Brilliant, like different, um, different, and but I would like it's experience. It's experience, like uh, learning off different people, different managers is is great for me. I've had so many managers now in the last five or six years, all with um, different ideas. None uh, quite like Joey in a lot of ways. Um, in what ways? <laughs> uh, you know, he's 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 completely got his his own ideas, and and he acts. Uh, a lot differently to a lot of managers do but I got that experience I'm delighted I did um, I learned a lot I learned a lot there I learned a lot of him I learned a lot of his staff Clint Hill and stuff um, so another brilliant experience for me that, that I take on Yeah and you've been called up to Republic, Republic of Ireland a few times now I mean that must be something you're uh, one of your, your biggest ambitions going forward especially now with Stephen Kenny coming in he might look towards more younger people yeah, like uh, that's brilliant. That that's brilliant, and um, obviously, um, Stephen Kenny has, has has been amazing, and he and thankfully he does look to the youth, and he he's done a brilliant job with the twenty ones and stuff, and how, how well they've done. And um, for me, I think to to put myself into that situation, um, I just need to get back out playing again, show people what I can do, find my form, find my feet again. It's obviously, been a long period now without playing because of well, firstly lockdown, and then being on the bench. Uh, so much. I think the next step for me is that if I'm if I'm not um, knocking on the door, Burnley to to be out somewhere showing people what I can do again. Mm. 
and you worked or you got called up by Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane, two ex-Sunderland managers. And what was the experience working with them? Yeah, brilliant. It was it was it was only like two camps, one game. Um, but I got a taste for it, so I I got, I got a taste for it, and obviously there was a few Barney lads there and stuff, and I roomed with Kev Long and stuff like that. So it was it was comfortable for me. It was um, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed seeing how different international football is from club football. It was really different. Um, so that was like that was like special, and it was a, and obviously it was a really proud, really proud moment for me. It was like a a little taste into what I really want and what I where I want to be. What would be the biggest differences between club and international football? I know there's shorter windows, but what, is the style of play different from most countries? Yeah, it's like a chess game. International football, it's like a it's like a slower, um, more technical um, game. There's a lot of trying to save energy in the game, um, whereas like a lot of the games in club football is like 100 mile an hour about that. International football wasn't really like that, and um, the whole build up to it was was different. Obviously, you've got like You've got like a week to prepare for one game and kind of only that game. Um, and you're with the lads in a hotel all week and stuff like that. And, and training's different and you're all coming from different clubs and stuff and you all have different ways of playing. But then you have to mould it together. Um, so it's just that. And again, like I keep saying it, but it's loads of different strange experiences and different experiences that I'm glad I gathered as early as possible because in the next like eight, ten years of my career, I'm, I'm going to need all of these experiences. I need to be able to make them work for me. Yeah. You didn't see Roy King Kung Fu kick a tactics quarter at no? Didn't see any of that. <laughs> um, am I right in saying that it was Michael O'Neill tried to poach you for the North one stage? Is that right? I've got a granny that um, was born in, in the skin. So, like, I think I I could technically play for um, Northern Ireland. And it was something I, I spoke to um, Michael about. Like um, I was playing in Hearts at the time, and he lived in Edinburgh. And we spoke about like like would it would it be would it be good for me? Like, am I going to play for a Republic of Ireland one day? Like, what what is it about? He, he he didn't necessarily try to to push me more than discuss it with me. Discuss what is and what would be good for me. Uh, like what I um, what I think what I think about it. Um, but like I'm born and raised in Dundalk and that's like I wanted to play for Republic of Ireland and they, they all understood that and completely accepted that and that's obviously my ambition and my dream so that's what I'm going to try and do. Yeah, so you're never, you're never tempted? No, but I think it's important to listen to um, really good managers like that that can that can give you advice and, and, and help you and just listening to them obviously benefited me. So. Yeah. Just the last one, Jimmy, before we finish up here. I mean, looking back at your time at Sutherland, what do you reflect on? What are your best memories of it? And um, how do you summarise it? Maybe looking back at it now, what I've learned from it, like what the notes I've taken from it, is definitely when you play for a club like that, and there can be hilly experiences to stay level held, level headed, not listen to kind of outside noise. I needed to keep myself focused through the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and and I think that's how, as you grow older, you maintain a consistent level of playing football. So um, I think maybe. When I scored my goal, I was maybe like, oh my God, I've scored for Sunderland, we're going to get promoted, this is the best thing in the world. And then maybe when I got dropped the next time, I was like, oh my God, this is the worst thing in the world, what am I doing? This is, we're not going to get promoted, this is terrible, they hate me, all this. And I think the biggest lesson I took out of it is that um, not to get too excited when things are going well and not too disappointed when they're not. And um, just to, to maintain a level of belief. That's probably the most individual thing I've been able to take out from it. Jimmy John, thanks for coming on, that was a great chat. Cheers. Ah, delighted. Thanks for that, Michael. Yeah, thank you very much.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.